0: are back in corinthians and boy are we back we got a tough chapter today first corinthians chapter five so uh just to kind of catch you up with if you haven't been in a little while um we've been going verse by verse through the book of, of first corinthians and paul's writing a letter to the church at corinth and they've got a lot of problems but the encouraging thing is in chapter one He reminds them that even though they're working through a lot of these issues and have these problems, that that God isn't done with them. That God is faithful and that God is working and that that God will be faithful to to complete his work in them. And what an encouragement that is because as we're going to see, like, man, they got some issues. They're dealing with some stuff. And here's what the problem is in 1 Corinthians 5. So up to this point, it was a lot of infighting, division, and they should have been unified but they were divided. They were dividing over unnecessary things, over personality. And one was saying, I'm following Paul. One saying, I'm following Apollos. One saying, I'm following Peter. And we really hammered through, through that and the importance of unity and not dividing over those unnecessary things. But in chapter 5 now, the issue is they're unified in their acceptance... Of a really gross immoral sin that's taken place. And they're doing nothing about that sin. Again, we're not talking about someone who comes as a, a guest into their assembly and they're and, and and they're kind of measuring them up whether or not they're welcome or not. That's not what the context is talking about. It's actually someone who is a professed believer, who's part of their body, who's part of the church, and he's living in a gross immoral sin. And we're going to look at it. We're not going to skip over it. We're going to look at it. But the problem is the church was doing nothing. Now, some might think, well, that sounds loving. That sounds loving. You're loving this person by allowing them to be part of the church and still live in this way. But what we're going to propose today is this. That is actually the opposite. It was actually that they weren't loving. Because this was harmful sinful, destructive behavior that was harming the person doing it. And it was also potentially could harm the whole body. Paul's saying, you can't do nothing. You need to deal with this issue that's going on. That's where we find ourselves in first Corinthians five. So it says, it's reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles, here it is, that one should have his father's wife. So this this sexually immoral relationship is a man with, and the way the wording is, makes us think it's with his stepmom. And this was something that Paul said, look, as crazy as the city of Corinth is, as immoral as they are, this is something they aren't even participating in. This is over the top even for Corinth. And he's saying it's going on in the church. It's commonly reported. So that wording, it doesn't mean that it's like gossip or hearsay. It's like everybody knows it's happening. It's been ongoing, right? It's not just a a one-time a failure. It's not just, you know, something that happened once and someone repented of it's like, no, they're continually living in this relationship, this immoral relationship. And he says, you're doing nothing. It's commonly reported that this is going on. And he uses the word fornication. So the Greek word is porneia, which really what that word in, encompasses all sexual sin, all sexual sin. See God's boundaries For sex is a man and woman in marriage. That's not a popular message today, but it's still the truth of the word of God. We need to preach it boldly. We need to preach it lovingly. But that is what God's boundaries are. And some might push back and say, well, God's keeping you from something. God doesn't want us to have fun. I mean, can't we just live life however we want? And as long as it's two consenting adults, I mean, who's to say that we can't? But the reality is this, that that God has those boundaries for our good. That's the, the safest, the most fulfilled, and, and that's not the message that culture gives you. That's not the message that, that, that Netflix and, and some of the popular you know, TV, that's not the message that they're giving you. It's actually the opposite. Oh, it's boring and stale, but man, go outside those boundaries of marriage, and, and then you're going to really have fun and enjoyment. But that's not true. That's not true. In fact, the, the most in, in different surveys, the most satisfied, fulfilled relationship is within marriage. But the reality is this, that that's irrelevant to whether it's true or not, but but I think what it shows us is this, God's not trying to keep us from something, God's protecting us for something. In that relationship with a man and woman in marriage, the Bible actually says it's honorable. It's a gift from God. God created it, but when God creates, Satan counterfeits. And Satan has a lot of counterfeits that are out there, and, and it might look good and feel good and seem good but the reality is that anything outside of that is a sinful and destructive pattern in behavior not saying that there's not fulfillment and pleasure in sin there is but at the end it's going to bring ruin and hurt and devastation i like how one pastor illustrated it it's like that relationship in marriage it's like it's like a fire in a fireplace it's beautiful it's warm it provides light and, and so much good, but the moment it gets outside of those bounds, and that fire can destroy, that fire can bring destruction. And it's not that, oh, God doesn't want us to have fun. It's not, oh, God's keeping you from something. God's actually protecting something that is holy and sacred. And that being said, like as many of us in here are parents, and we need to be the one that is, is teaching this message to our kids. Amen, and at the appropriate time, right? At the appropriate time, and because I, I promise you, our culture is giving them a message about it. They're very bold and they're very loud, and we need parents, we need pastors, we need teachers that are going to speak into this. And I don't mean in—I in, don't mean in an inappropriate or descriptive way, but we need to be the voice that's speaking into this to our kids. So. God's boundaries for sex is a man and woman in marriage. And this person was outside of those bounds. And the, the sin, the incest, the incestuous relationship that's going on, this is something Paul's like, man, even the, even the Gentiles, this is over the top for them. He's like, but not only is this happening, you guys are doing nothing about it. And that was really what the, the main problem was. ...was that the church was just ignoring it. In fact, he says that it's commonly reported, right? So everybody's knowing about this. But then in verse 2, he says, your response is that you're arrogant about it. He says that, and you're puffed up. And if not, rather mourn that he should, that hath done this deed might be taken away from you. He's like, you should be mourning this. You should be broken about this. But instead, your response is that of arrogance, your response is out of arrogance. We don't know exactly what all was going on. Maybe they were in in the name of grace or affirming. We're just gonna affirm everyone, but but this is not a sin that should be celebrated. It should be a sin that's repented of. It should be a sin that, that we're broken about. The church was doing nothing about. And again, this for, for those, maybe it's your first time here, first time in a little while, it might just seem like, man, what, what kind of an odd text to be in. But but again, we're going verse by verse and we're not skipping any, skipping over any of, of the chapters or verses. And it's important that we understand that we have a, a, a view, a, a complete view of Scripture that, you know, because Scripture is constantly under attack. You know, maybe you've even seen some of the viral videos on, on YouTube and TikTok lately of, of, of someone that they used to be a, a believer. They used to call themselves a Christian and now they're... The, the term is an apostate. They said they were once a believer and now that they're not anymore. And in, in uh, one particular video from um, Abraham Piper, the son of Pastor John Piper, Abraham Piper is like just going on all these rants against the Bible and against Christianity. And he's got a quite a, a, a big following and and i'm not pretending for one minute that most of the stuff he's complaining about is taken within the right context of the scripture itself but but basically saying, look, like, man, like, yeah, w- what a great story to read to your five-year-old. And he'll, he'll talk about, like, you know, some of the violence that we read about or some of the things like in Solomon, Song of Solomon that gets descriptive. And, like, basically that's his attack on Christianity. It's like, well, you know, Abraham, the, the thing is, though, uh, the Bible wasn't meant to be a five-year-old storybook that we read our kids, right? Like, it's, it's history. And here we see this to me is not the only, but I think it's a good piece of evidence to show us the authenticity of scripture, is because it's not something people would just make up, right? Like, like, why would you make this up about a situation in the church, God's people that's going on? You wouldn't make that up to try to make Christianity look good. But all that being said, here's the thing, this is going on within the church. Paul's saying, man, I'm, I'm grieved the fact that, he's like, my concern is that you're not concerned about it you're doing nothing. You're arrogant about it. You should have rather mourned. In other words, you should be broken about this. You should be broken about it, but you're arrogant. You're puffed up. It says, for verily, and as absent in body, but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that have done so this deed. He's saying like, look, man, I know what should be done. This isn't debatable. This isn't even a question. I've already, man, I I hear about this from Chloe, uh, the things that are going on in the church. He's like, man, this is an easy one, right? This this is an easy one to know what to do. He says, in in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not present with you physically, but I'm with you in spirit and I'm concerned about this. And he says, now here's another tough one. You ready? Verse five. Here's what you're to do. Deliver such one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. Now, this is a tough verse. We don't really know exactly what this means. It seems like what this means is that Paul's saying it's not like this, you know, crazy ritual with hooded robes at midnight where you're taking somebody in the ceremony and delivering them to Satan. It seems like what he's saying is that they need to be put outside the church if they're going to continue Again, this is not someone that walks in and they're examining everything about them to see if they're welcome. This is someone that's part of the body. That's part of the church family that claims to be a brother in Christ. And he's saying, deliver them to Satan. In other words, put them out of the church, into the world where it's Satan's realm. They can't have it both ways. They can't live, someone can't live in this open, unrepentant, sinful sexual lifestyle and still have the comfort and protection and acceptance of the body and by the way we're going to look at why so don't don't turn it off right now thinking well that just sounds very unloving and harsh because actually what i'm going to propose is this that that is actually a very loving thing to do if they truly care about this person and if they care about the entire body he's saying look give this person their own way, the destruction of the flesh. Hey, look, sin has consequences. And if you're a believer, a follower of Christ, you know, we know that, that we've been saved from the consequences of sin as far as in the eternal state. Like we're, we're united with Christ and Jesus Christ took our condemnation and our judgment. Amen. And, and we're clothed in his righteousness. But while we're here in this life, we're sinners being sanctified There's consequences still for our sin and our actions. And it could be he's saying that that you give this person their own way and it's going to cause some consequences. There's going to be some some harm. There's going to be some things in life that are going to happen and not, not all bad things in life that happen are a result of sin. It's important we know that, right? Like something bad happens or some tragedy strikes or you get sick, it doesn't mean that God's punishing you and judging you. But there are times if a Christian is sinning openly, willfully, that God will bring those things into a person's life to bring them to repentance. And it might be some destructive things. In other words, their own way of going down that path, there's consequences that are built in with that. And he said, but this person's spirit's going to be saved. Now, we don't know this for sure, but it seems like maybe in 2 Corinthians, where Paul's talking about a brother being restored, might be, might be this guy here in 1 Corinthians 5. It's speculation. But we'd like to think that this person was restored, that they repented and were restored. So we see that, and man, that seems harsh, but, but Paul's going to tell us why you can't allow someone in the church, again, who's a, a believer, calling themselves a, a believer, that's, that's there with the family, with the body, because first of all, it's because they're, they're on a path of destruction, right? Loving someone doesn't mean that you're affirming and, and, and even enabling them to go down a path that's harmful and destructive for them. But not only that, he's going to, Paul's going to give an illustration of how that something called leaven is going to infect and affect the entire lump. And he's saying, look, that sin within the church can affect the entire body if it's not dealt with. And he uses that example. In verse 6, he's like, your glorying's not good. You should be grieving over this, not glorying in it. He says, know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? So this, this 11, it would be like a little bit left over of the dough that they would use to start like a new batch of dough. And so it would sit out for a little bit, it would become fermented and, and and they would use that. And that, that little bit of dough, when you mix it with the other dough, it like permeates and, and it goes throughout the entire lump. So kind of like how, how, you know, you would use yeast the same way, like it just, you get that yeast in and it, and it affects the entire dough. Is that right? I'm not a baker. So I, I, I'm hoping you're tracking with this here, right? He's saying, look, it's going to affect everything. It's going to affect everything. A little bit that, that you allow in the leaven. And, and, and the leaven was a picture in multiple places in the scripture of like what sin does and sin is. And that's why like when they would have the Passover and it, they were they, to they, they have bread that was unleavened. In fact, the, the Jews would make that a game with their kids, like go through the house and find the leaven and get rid of it and get it out of the house. As a picture of that. Well, Christ was going to be the perfect sinless lamb of God. He was without sin, without the leaven. Well, what Paul's using this illustration here saying, look, if you allow this sin in the church, it's going to infect and affect the entire body. That's why it's such a big deal. He says, let us therefore keep, verse number eight, or sorry, verse seven, purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and in truth. So again, he's pointing out, man, this sin is going to infect the entire body. It's going to affect everybody. So it might seem, well, that's unloving, but it's actually loving. It's actually loving for the person that's sinning that, hey, there's accountability. There's accountability. We love you. We're not going to just, we're not just going to sweep something under the rug that's causing you great harm. Like if you know someone that maybe struggles with with addiction, maybe substance abuse, and you allow and enable them and you never try to intervene. Are you really loving that person? Well, I would propose no. You're not, or you're not showing love if you're enabling and you're never confronting destructive behavior. And it's causing destruction to the person. But also, Paul's saying, look, it's gonna it's gonna affect the entire body. It gets even harsher. Verse number nine. He says, I wrote unto you in an epistle, so this is a different letter that we are. Thinking is an epistle that you know, we just don't have access to, that he wrote to them before. But he's reminding them, I wrote unto you an epistle not to keep company with fornicators. It's like, don't hang out with people that are living in sexual sin openly. All people? No, no, this is for people who are calling themselves believers. And it's important we understand that. Right? Because sometimes what happens is in the church we get it backwards like we're ready to just break off any communication with people that are unbelievers because they're sinners and and want nothing to do with them meanwhile meanwhile sometimes we can overlook and justify sin within the church and within the body and Paul saying man you got it backwards you have to deal with the sin within the church. He's like, you're not, you're not to be the, the police, so to speak, and judge everyone's life who's not a believer. Someone walks in as a guest that we don't know. We don't you know, interrogate them to see what kind of sin are you living in. No, that's ridiculous. People that are unbelievers and sinners, they're going to live like unbelievers and sinners. He's saying you have to deal with the person that's in the church that's professed to be a believer. He says, verse 10, yet not all together with the fornicators of this world, or with covetous, uh, covetous or extortioners, or idolaters. For then, he says, you need to go out of the world. In other words, like you, there's going to be sin around us. We're in the world. You can't isolate from every person in the world. In fact, we're called to be the light to people that are in darkness. We're called... We're called to take the gospel to people. Many times what that entails, especially in our context now with people that that have no really knowledge of scripture or no understanding of scripture is that we need to pour into people's lives. Let's be bold to speak the truth. Amen. But also many times it's that opportunity by investing in people and loving people and caring for people. And it's that balance. We as a church don't do this perfectly, but we strive for that. We strive to do both. We strive to be faithful to truth and not compromise Uh, not compromise the truth of the word of God, but also we want to be loving to people that don't know Christ. We want to be loving to all people, but again, the context of people that are professed to be believers that are blatantly, openly sinning and not have any desire to change or repent, well, loving them is holding them accountable, right? But to the unbelievers, the unbelievers that are out in the world, how do you expect unsaved unbelievers to act, right? Do we want them to just just adapt to our morals superficially, well, they need a heart, a heart transformation. Not to just add some more morals to their life. They need the power of the gospel. So he's not—he's saying, look, we're not talking about people that are in the world. Otherwise, you'd have to completely go out of the world. Uh, verse 11, but now I've written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or extortioner with such an one not to eat. For what have I what have I to do to judge them that are without? He's like, I'm not the judge of people outside of the body of Christ. He's like, but rather those that are within. But them that are without God judgeth. Like, God's gonna take care of that. God's gonna take care of people that aren't. Believers, it'll take care of believers too. But again, the context is that we need to be concerned not with people that are sinning who aren't believers, not to go out and and basically condemn people who are unbelievers for sin. Now, in a general sense, you know, preaching the word of God, yes, like we need to be faithful to preaching the truth of the word of God. But we're not to go out and try to take our magnifying glass and look at everybody's life and faults and failures. They're not believers. How do you expect them to act? He says, but them that are without God judges, therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. So again, this is, it sounds harsh, but not when you truly understand what he's saying and why he's saying it. That it's actually destructive. It's actually unloving. It's actually harmful to encourage and affirm Someone that's living in a sinful way that God says is harmful and destructive. And again, that's where you have this this major clash. And that's why a worldview is so important. That's why we need to bow to the authority of Scripture. Because you see this today, this major clash of what is really love. Some would say, well, love is tolerance. Love is just, you know, let people do what they want. And if you say anything about it, that's unloving. But that's actually... I'm arguing is not the case. That there are times when the loving thing to do is to confront someone in a humble way, to confront someone who's a brother, sister in Christ, and encourage them, hey, there's a better way. God's, God's ways are better. So, I mean, what do we do with this? What do we do with this passage? It might seem, again... It might seem like an odd passage of, of, of scripture, and it's one that, to be honest, if we weren't going verse by verse, it wouldn't be one that I would choose to, to dive into, you know? I mean, it's, again, it's a, a, a blatant sin that we would say is, man, this is, this is horrible. This person is living in, in a sexual immoral lifestyle, and, but yet, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Well, there's four, I think there's more, but there's four um, applications that I want us to look at from this passage, and then will be concluded. Number one is this. Loving someone is not affirming their sinful and destructive behavior. Once again, that's where it's like that, that goes against what the cultural norm is or what people say in culture. But loving someone is not affirming their sinful and destructive behavior. Sometimes it is lovingly, humbly confronting someone. Again, we're talking about Within. The body with other believers and just like you know you and, and and i love i love our church family because i feel like like you guys are my friends like i and i love that about cross point um but that being said like i would expect if you saw sinful destructive behavior in my life now again you don't have to look too far to see sin in my life right i'm a sinner being sanctified but i'm talking about something that is a, a habitual thing in my life that you see is is sinful I would expect you and hope that you would approach me. That you wouldn't just, ah, well, let's just sweep it under the rug, you know, and and justify it or rationalize it like we so often do with sin in our life and the lives of others. But that you would actually lovingly come to me and vice versa. And that's why this is important within within the body of of having true relationships within the church. Right? Loving someone is not just affirming their sinful... And destructive behavior. Secondly, accountability in the church family is healthy and important to our spiritual growth. That accountability, I'm saying this as believers, we need that. And that's why it's important to, like, having a church body and family, to have other Christians that are your friends and have people that you're actually doing life with. And, and again, there's nothing wrong with, you know, occasionally you know, visiting another church and like, you know, maybe you have family or friends that go to another church and there's a, a, an event or a celebration. You can, you know, by all means, like go be supportive of that if you're out of town. But, but I think that what we see is it's really, really important that you have a local body, a local church that you belong to. Why? Because otherwise you don't have that accountability and we need that. You need that. I need that, right? Like within our church family and it's a healthy thing and an important thing. And I don't look accountability, not in like a micromanaging, like weird controlling, like cult, like, um, controlling way. No, we're talking about a healthy accountability, belonging to a local body, belonging to a local church. And that's why like whenever I'll talk with people that visit cross point and maybe they come for a little bit is like, Hey, I'm praying that God's going to make it clear you know, where you should land, what church, what, I hope it's cross point, right? I hope it's cross point, but, but if not find a church, again, I'm not saying like you have to, you know, find something in two weeks, but like pray about it, you know, take some time, maybe visit a few places, but, but it's important to have that accountability to have. I think it's healthy. I think it's important. And I know not everyone's able to with schedule wise and that to be part of a connection group. And, but, but that. Those groups are a way where we hope that there can be even more accountability. And hopefully even outside of that, hopefully there's people within the church body that it's not just you see on Sunday, talk to them for five minutes and leave. It's important to have those friendships. It's important to have that for many things, but one thing is for accountability. Like that's a healthy thing. And, and I think that we have that. I love that about our church, having that accountability. So. First of all, we see loving someone isn't affirming their sin. Accountability in the church family is healthy and important for spiritual growth. Thirdly, our response to sin should be repentance and restoration. Right? When there's sin in our life, instead of becoming angry, instead of trying to justify it, instead of being arrogant about it, we need to repent. We need to repent of it. And then to the person that repents, the church should be with open arms restoring that person. And a lot of times I think why people shy away from something called church discipline is because they've seen it done like poorly. They've seen it done where it's more about shaming someone and excommunicating someone rather than trying to restore them. And maybe you've seen that. Maybe you've been a part of that. And that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. But again, like it's a difficult thing. It's a challenging thing to have that balance of, of being loving, right? And... And being welcoming. Like I hope the worst sinner can walk into our doors. And our church makes them feel loved and welcome. Amen. That should be our mentality. But on the other hand too. We should be a church that within our body. Those who are are, are, are professing to be believers. Who are believers. Brothers and sisters in Christ. We should also understand the importance of of following what God says. Following his word. Are we going to do it perfectly? No. And And that's why. The Spirit of God is in us, working in us. And that's why we have other believers and others within our body to help encourage us, to help hold us accountable. And again, that's a good thing. That's a healthy thing. Our response to sin, though, should be repentance and then restoration. Restoration. Not about shunning people, but about restoring them to the body. I'm not talking about losing your standing in Christ or losing your salvation but I'm talking about like that fellowship within the church. I love what Warren Wearsby said about this passage. He said, church discipline is not a group of pious policemen out to catch a criminal. Rather, it's a group of brokenhearted brothers and sisters seeking to restore an erring member of the family. Man, that's good, isn't it? That should be our goal. It shouldn't be to you know, take our, our, our magnifying glass and just look for sins and faults in people. But, hey, when those things are known, when those things do come up, let's truly be loving. And let's do things God's way. And let's, in a loving, humble way, help restore that person. Amen? That should be our response to sin. We need to repent about sin in our life. Not celebrate it. Not try to get people to affirm it. But repent of it. And then we should seek restoration. And then, in closing, a little sin... destroy everything and this is what he's talking about with the leaven man it can infect and affect everything and that's why it's important not just for the person that we want to see restored but like for the entire body like again we want to welcome everyone with loving and open arms and i think our church does such a great job with that um but also too we need to be faithful to scripture we need to be faithful to scripture and why well because You know, if a church has this open sin amongst people who are believers, again, we're talking about an ongoing, unrepentant sin that everyone knows about and no one wants to deal with, well, like, our church isn't going to have God's blessing and God's power on our church if we allow that. We have to be a church that is, yes, loving and welcoming, but we don't want to affirm sinful things that God says is harmful and that God says is destructive. Because as believers... We are being sanctified by the spirit of God. It's moving and working. And thank God for his patience, right? Like, man, God is patient with us. We need to be patient and loving with other believers. But while we're being patient and loving, doesn't mean that we allow someone to go down a path that's destructive for them. Kind of a rough passage. I'm kind of glad to be done with chapter five. But, you know, this is important. It's important as a church that, that we understand that, you know, that God, God's ways are best. And that God has set these things up, not because he doesn't want us to have fun, not because, not because he's a mean God. No, God creates Satan counterfeits, and we're in a fallen world, and sin's around us. We need to be, first and foremost, repenting of our own sin. And then when we see fellow believers, we need to hold them accountable as we want them to hold us accountable, right? It's a two-way street. Two-way street. Sometimes people that are always quick to point out other people's sins, like they don't like it when, they, when they, they don't like it when it happens in reverse. Like they get real angry and defensive. But it's important to understand. And here's what we see in 1 Corinthians 5. Man, uh, a rather just odd and, and, and unique passage. But yet we see that God has given us his word for a purpose. And may we as a church take heed to that. May we bow to the authority of Scripture. Let's be loving, but let's not be affirming of sinful and destructive behavior. Let's realize the importance of accountability for each of us within our church family. By the way, that goes for me as a pastor. Like, I need that within our church family. And I'm thankful I have good, godly friends, you guys, who sharpen me and encourage me. Thank you. We need that within the church. Again, our response to sin should be repentance and restoration. Restoration. We have to understand why, because a a little sin can destroy a lot. A little leaven will leaven the whole lump. Let's pray.